Well, it's really good to see all of you today, especially your guests. We're glad you're here. Hope you know you're always welcome to anything we have going on. You're here at the uh, 9 o'clock hour. The skies is 10 o'clock. And it uh, looks like some of the 945 people are going to sneak in at 11. And we're going to notice that. I don't know if we're going to let them in. But we're glad you're here to worship. And, and we always want to be able to come and celebrate and glorify God. Uh, we love the music. We love the opportunities we have in life uh, to praise Jesus and to praise the Father. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in that time of the year. It's an exciting time right now. Last year at this time, you know, we started having all the COVID stuff. We had to miss Easter, at least in person. And we're gearing up for Easter. We're so excited about Easter. Let me encourage you, by the way. We're going to have a packed house at 945, I guarantee, at 11 o'clock. So we have the 1215 service at Easter. And if you'd like to come at the 1215 service, especially if you don't have a lot of kids or any, or any kids, you want to come help us out, spare a little room. We're expecting a huge number of guests and people to start coming back at Easter. So we're excited about that. We're in a series that began last week. And um, I began the series last week really with this statement right here. It says this, for the follower of Jesus, everything ultimately comes back to the cross. Everything comes back to the cross. Everything Jesus did was in preparation for it. Everything the early followers did was a result of it. Everything, and you look at scriptures, I tell, say this all the time, the Old Testament points to something, it points to the cross. In the New Testament, once you get through the Gospels, once you get to the cross, everything looks back to it. Everything Jesus did, everything he did came to the cross. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's going to the cross. That's why he came. That's where he was going. With that in mind, then let me share this with you, another statement, which is this. You cannot, you cannot separate the cross from Christianity, as many try to do. It is as foolish and useless as trying to live without water, neither last long and neither end well. If you try to live your life without water, you can't do it. To try to take the cross away from Christianity. People try, but ultimately you don't have Christianity when all is said and done. You simply can't do it. The series that we're in today is entitled The Cross of Christ. It's going all the way through the end of April. And we saw last week, we began this whole series off with the centrality of the cross. The cross is central to everything to do with the Christian faith. To speak of the cross, you can use the term gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the ascension. You know, all of that is connected. But we were speaking of the cross. And, you know, the next few weeks, we're going to be in Romans. And kind of a tight set of verses in chapter 4 through the middle of chapter 5. Next week, we're going to look at the heart of the cross. The week after that, the achievement of the cross. But today, we're going to come to Romans 4.25 and look at the reason for the cross. We're going to find in this verse the reason for the cross, which causes so much controversy in the culture and the world we live in. We're going to look at the reason for the cross. And Romans 4.25 says this, He, that is Jesus, who was delivered over on account of our, or because of our, wrongdoings or transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. And so, what I want you to do today, what I want you to see from the message today is this, that our sin and salvation was and is the reason for the cross. The reason for the cross, very simple. Our sin, our salvation. I mean, people can come up with other reasons. They can explain this way and that way. It all comes down to the bottom line. The bottom line simply is this. It is our sin and is our salvation that ultimately always is the reason for the cross. So we're going to begin the message today. I'm going to talk to you about the sin or the doctrine, I should say, that just won't die. There is a doctrine, there's a teaching within our faith as Christians that just won't die. That doctrine is the doctrine of sin. The world hates sin. doesn't hate the act of sin. <laughs> Mankind has always loved the act of sin, or we wouldn't be doing it. What we hate is the idea of something we do being called sinful. We don't like the idea of being told we're sinners. We don't like the idea 
are being said of us that we are, have a personal problem of sin. We want the church and other things to not talk about sin, talk about love. You know, we want Christianity, we want all religion to be about love. And the truth is, Christianity is about love. I preached about love at the end of the series in January, For God So Loved the World. Next week, I'm going to preach in Romans 5, 8. Uh, God showed his great love to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Back in the summer, I spent uh, a series in John 13. I began and ended that series with Jesus saying, this is the command I give to you, a new command that you love one another. Of course, we're all about love. But love and sin are not mutually exclusive. You don't have to cancel out one to have the other. And our problem in our culture today is we don't like the idea of sin. We want to try to do away with it. And we do that all the time. And we, try, and we, we say, well, sin is offensive. Our culture tells us the idea that you tell me that I've sinned, that's offensive. Well, maybe it is. But just because something's offensive doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, you can be offended. And the person who offended you can be right in what they tell you. They're not mutually exclusive. In our culture, we, we want to we use other concepts for sin. We want to talk about mistakes. Well, what they did was just a mistake. Or we, we, we put the burden not on the person but on society. It's a societal issue. Or we talk about, you know, evil as some force. That, you know, there's the evil of poverty or there's the evil of, of racism. We're against all these things. So we just don't, we don't want to avoid sin. And I get it. I mean, when I, when I go somewhere else to another church, I really don't want to hear the pastor talking about sin. You know, I don't really necessarily like preaching about sin. Some guys love to preach about sin. I never understood guys who love to preach about sin. I really don't like preaching about sin because when I preach about sin, I got to preach to myself. And the problem is I begin that process from the moment I start this sermon months in advance, you know, and all this week, and I have to preach this message a total of 20 something times before it's done. I hate preaching about sin. I have to hear the thing. But if sin is real. In our culture, we want, to, we want to do away with it. So, you know, we, we try to find ways to do, get around sin. You know, you see several examples. We, we have people now want to deny personal responsibility or accountability. I saw some, some lawmaker, there's several of them, trying to pass laws that say that if someone breaks into your home to rob you, you just need to give them what they came to get. You don't confront them. <laughs> because they probably need it more than you. And I know I laugh when I heard that first time, but that's real. They're not holding the other person accountable. Or we want to see, we see morality shifting. So that today, and there are some in the culture that wants to make something like pedophilia okay. And say, well, that's just the way that person was made. That was what they created. That's just who they are. It's okay. And we're like, what are you, crazy? It's not Okay. Or sometimes what they want to do, and this is really popular, this has going on for really decades, all my life, is just we want to take away the idea of absolute truth. We want to make, make truth whatever you want it to be. Everyone creates their own reality. All of you are out there creating your own reality. These are all ways. All of this, what it does is it cancels out the concept of sin. We don't want sin in our culture. And as a result, our culture doesn't want Christianity either. Unless you were to change Christianity. If you were to change Christianity and it was just about Jesus, because people like Jesus. But if you took the cross out of the faith, if you took the cross out of the whole Jesus thing, then people would be happy. The problem is you can't do it. You cannot separate the cross out of Christianity, which means you can't get away from sin. Just the way it is. Which brings us to Romans chapter 4. Paul wrote the book of Romans in about 57 AD from Corinth. 
He wrote it to Rome because he hoped to go there sometime. Hadn't been there yet. Romans kind of introduces Paul's basic doctrinal theological position in life. That's why it's considered really, of all of the, the books in the New Testament, the one that is the most concise in explaining the Christian faith, explaining doctrine to us. He begins in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and he just starts talking about sin and faith and justification you know, in Romans 1.17, says the just person will live by faith. The person right with God lives their life by faith. In Romans 3.23, it says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. He talks about sin, justification, and faith. All through that comes to Romans chapter 4. And he begins to use the example of Abraham. And he said, Abraham was this guy. You go back to Genesis 12, Abraham was a pagan in a world where everybody was basically lost. Nobody but maybe a handful of people in the world really followed God. God came and he chose Abraham out of all those pagans. And we are told that Abraham, Paul says in chapter 4, had believed in God. He had faith. He was justified and made right by God by faith. It was before there was circumcision, before there was the law. He didn't do any good work. He believed. And so you get to the end of chapter 4, and it basically says Abraham was credited by God as being right because of his faith. And then it says to us in chapter uh, 4, verse 24, And we who believe in him whom God raised from the dead. We are also made right when we believe in him, that is God, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, comes to verse 25. And I'll put it back up here, a little different translation says this. Jesus is the one who was given over on account of our transgressions and was resurrected for, or on account of, or because of our justification. Verse 25 is really a simple verse, but it sounds complicated because it's got those big fancy words like transgression and justification and all those other kind of words in there, you know, resurrected. And, and you can read this, if you take multiple English versions, and, and it'll be translated different ways. And you can get in, you know, so when, I'm, when I study this stuff, there's all these nuanced explanations for all these different words, and, you know, parsing the verbs and declining the nouns and trying to make the preposition exactly what it means. You know, there are two parallel statements, how they relate to each other. It's all get very complicated, but at the end of the day, you get back to the exact same place. That's what you do. It's kind of like coming into the auditorium, the worship center. You can argue that's the best door. You can argue that's the best door. You can argue that's the best door. That is, by the way, the best door. It's the one I usually use. That's the best door. But you end up in the same place. So we're not going to worry about all that nuanced stuff. We're just going to get to the place where we need to be. There are two parallel statements. One says, on account of, or, we, or he was given over on account of our transgressions. The one that parallels it says he was raised on account of our, or for our justification. He was given over. Comes from a word. That means in his heart to give someone a gift. But it's a compounded type of word, a compounded verb, and so it carries some different understandings depending on the context. And oftentimes when the word is used, it is something negative because it's used in the betrayal or giving over of Jesus. It is written that Judas gave over or betrayed Jesus. That Pilate gave over, betrayed, handed over Jesus to the Jews. So it's the idea of really connected with Jesus, of giving him over to something towards the cross. Here, the one who gave him over is God. We can say, who gave Jesus over? Well, the only way you can understand this verse is if you understand that the one who gave him over is God. God gave him over. God raised him back to life, but he gave him over. And he gave him over on account of something. The word on account of, a lot of your versions may have because of, or the little word for or through. It's, it's a little preposition, and, and it's used twice in this sentence. It's what links the two uh, 
parallel statements together. Prepositions in the Greek either signify movement or location. They're really important. And so here there is a movement attached to this word. And the movement has some reason for occurring. So the reason for the movement or the reason for the handing over is our transgressions. Our transgressions. The word transgression is a very technical term, but basically it's in the word concept or it's in that group of words that deal with sin. Earlier on, in Romans 3.23, Paul said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word translated sin is the very generic basic word of what sin may be. In the Greek, it's the word hamartia. It means to fall short of a mark. In fact, Paul even tells us what the mark we fall short of is. It's the glory of God. Way back... First Sunday of the year, back in January, I preached about the holiness of God. God is holy. He is separate. We sin against the holiness of God. He reveals his holiness in his glory. So we, in essence, sin against the glory of God. And that which is sinful cannot come into his presence. We have rebelled against that. And so sin is falling short in our rebellion of all the glory of God. This word, that's what the word I mean 323 means. This word, transgression, is a very technical word that has to do with sin against. It's to cross a line. There are numerous words we can use for sin. Iniquity is one. Evil is one. Wickedness is one. Transgression. Transgression means in its form to sin personally against God. Back in 1 Samuel, excuse me, yeah, 1 Samuel chapter, or 2 Samuel chapter 11, David sins against Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her. He sins against her. He also sins against Uriah the Hittite, her husband. Then he kills Uriah. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned though against Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, when David confesses his sin to God, but he says this, it is against you and you only I have sinned. David said that his sin was ultimately against God. He offended, he transgressed, he passed over what God expected. We were given over by God because of our sin against him. God gave Jesus to the cross because of our sin against him. But, it tells us, he was raised back. He was resurrected. That word raised up. Uh, resurrected is how I like to translate it. It's a word that means to wake up. Some of you are probably sleepy right now because it's earlier than you normally are used to and you're thinking about dozing off. I understand that. If I was at your house listening to you talk, I'd probably doze off too <laughs> for much better reason. And if you doze off, what I want to encourage the person to, next to you is to resurrect you by gently elbowing you in the ribs as hard as they can. Elbow them gently as hard as you can. Can you do that? It's a very complicated process. <laughs> to be resurrected, to be raised back, is to come back up. up, up come back up. When we're com- we come back up, we raise back up. Jesus from the cross, from death, it says for or account of or for the purpose of is what it means because of justification. And that is one of the fanciest, most technical words you're going to find in all of Christianity. The word justification. Some of your versions have the word righteousness. Justification and righteousness mean the exact same thing. They translate the same Greek word. There is a slight nuance difference that if we were in some fancy doctoral class in theology that we would worry about. But I didn't worry about it then and I ain't going to worry about it now because it means the same thing. And it means to be set right, to be put in its proper place. If you were to, to break a bone and the doctor or whoever it was who was going to fix it would set it right, they'd put it right, they'd straighten it, they'd make it where it needs to be. If you're going to put a wall up, most of the time, most of the time you want the wall to be 
perpendicular to the floor. You want it to be at 90 degrees. You don't want it to be at 89 or 91. You want it to be level. You want it to be right. That's the concept. It is a legal term that has the idea of being set right or declared right in a court of law. It's as if you commit a crime and you have you made, you've offended the, the, the laws of the state or, or, or whatever, the city. Maybe you were speeding. You were going too fast. And so you appear before a judge. And the judge said, are you guilty of speeding or are you not guilty? And you might say, I'm not guilty. And then the judge looks at all the evidence and says, no, you are guilty. And now you are held guilty. You need to pay us a fine. And maybe he charges you $1,000. And someone comes in and, and writes the checks and says, judge, I'm going to pay that fine. And the judge says, they paid the fine. Are you going to accept it? You said yes. The judge says, you are now right. That fine has been paid. You have been declared right. It doesn't mean you didn't do the crime or commit the the offense. You did. You sped. You were guilty of it. doesn't take away the fact that you did it. But what it says is that the court no longer holds you accountable for it. That's what justification means. Someone paid the price for our sin. Our sin. Our sin. We deserve the cross. We sinned. We deserve it. Someone else paid the price of. And here's the thing. This is what's sad is so many people aren't willing to let Jesus pay that price. I'll tell you right now, if I get a ticket and I owe the judge a thousand dollars and you come wanting to pay for me, I'll let you pay it. In fact, I'll take your car because I'm probably going to appear before that judge one or two more times. I'm going to invite you along. But for some reason, we don't like the idea of someone else paying for our sin. In fact, we, we deny our sin, but here's the thing. Here's what we got to realize. This is important. The only way, the only way holy God could ever see rebellious men and women in right standing with him is if our sin against him was removed. And our problem was and is, we can't remove it. So I could go pay the fine. So that analogy breaks down there. But right now, I can't, I can't remove my sin. I try I want to, if I believed I had personal sin, I'd want to remove it, but I can't. And here's the thing, because people can't believe and can't accept the fact that they can't remove their sin, then what happens is they want to begin to deny and deny the sin. And so what happens to the problem of sin from our standpoint is our solution is to deny we have a problem. We say there is no sin. And we, we say we are not in rebellion against God. We've, we deny that we're in rebellion against God. We deny that we have sin. But here's the problem. Sin is the doctrine that just won't die. You can deny it. You can try to move away from it. You can't escape it. It's there. All have sinned. All have trespassed. All have done that against God. Which brings me to the next thing that I want to share with you then. How do I get there from here? I'm a guy that's pretty good with directions. I, I figure out how to get there, especially if I have a map. And, and, and I don't like someone sitting and telling me how to get somewhere. Now, if I'm the passenger, like when the staff goes someplace, I'm always telling them how to get wherever they need to go. But I don't like that. And, and, but my wife's not in this service right now. She'll be in the next one. So I can say this in this service. I'm not going to say it in the next service. I don't like it when my wife thinks that she needs to pull out her phone and Google up where we're going and start giving me instructions on how to get there. I, don't, I know how to get there. And if I don't know how to get there, I'll figure it. I'll fake it. And this is what I do when I don't know how to get somewhere. I pull over at a convenience store and say, baby, I've got to get me something to drink. And I'll go in there and I'll ask the guy behind the counter, listen, I don't want my wife to know this, but how do I get there from here? <laughs> and by the way, I'll take, you know, I'll take that big gulp to go, but tell me how. And then I'll go out there and I'll know how to get there. I don't want her to know that. 
All of us need to know how to get there from How do we get to that place where we're justified from we're sin? We are sinners in rebellion against God. That's, here's where we are. How do we get over there? And the answer to that question in Romans 4, we're told how Abraham did. You know how Abraham got there? He was a pagan. He didn't even know he needed to get there from here. He didn't even realize that until God came to him. He says, by faith, by trusting him. And that's the key to all of this. Here's what Romans 5, 1 reminds us of. It's simply this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in rebellion against God. We don't have peace with God. Some of you right now, you don't have peace with God. Some of you watching, you know, you're on the YouTube or you're on the Internet or you're on our website. You don't have peace with God. You're in rebellion against God. There's no peace. I would, I, I, listen, I understand, even as a Christian, sometimes yeah, I've done some things that I'm not right with God where I need to be. And there is no peace. There is torment. It's hard not being at peace with God. You want to be at peace with God. How do you get there? By faith. You're, you're justified by faith. But here's the thing. And this is what people ask, especially a culture, especially a world that doesn't want to admit there's a problem with God. Now, they'll say this, and why doesn't God, why didn't just God, if Jesus went to the cross, why didn't he just forgive everybody? Why didn't God just forgive everyone? If that's the way it is, he can just cancel out all that sin. Well, I'll explain to you then why it didn't work that way. It all goes back to the very first sin. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told what the very first sin is. Sometimes people will come up and want to discuss the very first sin, and they'll start explaining to me what they think it is. And I'm like, man, don't you ever read that? Don't you ever read what it says? In fact, let me tell you this. I don't know. I, I've been here now almost six years. Uh, and, and, and I constantly tell you what the very first sin was. In fact, Six years ago this weekend, uh, Debbie and I actually snuck in to Las Cruces to check this town out. And uh, I remember that. We were seriously considering coming here. We were dealing with the, the, the committee. Uh, you know, the committee was, was, looks like they were wanting to call us, finally, about time, you know, after they still it around for eight months, couldn't figure out where they were going. And then we got here, and then we said, hang on a minute. Maybe we just didn't want what we want after all, you know. But no, it, we, we, so six years now, I've been, I've been really part of this church. And, and I'm always preaching. I don't know how many hundreds of times that I've told you this. The basic sin of all of life is we want to be God. That's why the serpent came to Eve and said, hey, you'll be like God. That's the temptation, to be like God. I've been saying that six years, what, 12 months, a year? What, six times 12? That's over 100 times right there I've told you about that. Oh, gosh. Six times 12 is 72, people. You were supposed to get that. Okay, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not telling that. It didn't work at the early service. I'm not telling that at 11 either. Okay. It's that early. You can't figure that out. Because then that set up the next line. The next line was the real punch line. It was going to say, I got that through common core. But I can't use that line now because you didn't use it. Like that. <sighs> Rewrite that whole sermon because of this. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Sin. So the basic sin of all life is we sin against God. We want to be God. That's the desire. Look at, look at all the Old Testament, New Testament, all that religious stuff that they, they fought against. You know, they fought, the Jews fought against it in Christianity. It was paganism. You know what paganism is? Paganism is creating your own gods. That's what it is. Romans chapter 1, he talks about they took the created stuff and they, and they decided to worship it. When you make up your own little gods and goddesses and you form them, you can control them, you manipulate them. You become in control of the gods. That's what they want. In the book of Revelation, I'm doing a lot of preparation of Revelation. I'm going to teach it uh, this summer in uh, Deep Fry on one Friday night. You know, and, and, and 
you're there and you're realizing <laughs> the problem, the whole reason for everything in the Revelation is the Christian church, especially in Asia Minor, are being persecuted. They're being just God after by these people that are in line with Caesar and what Caesar wants is you to worship him. And they won't worship him. And all they would have to do is worship Caesar because Domitian, who is Caesar, he wants to be God. That's the whole point of that. He is persecuting them. He's killing them. Because he wants them to admit he's God. Go to the book of Exodus. I'm reading Exodus right now. I love Exodus. There's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is fighting. He didn't fight Moses. Pharaoh was fighting God. He's against God. And you know what Pharaoh's problem is? And and, and we don't understand this as much because we don't understand Egyptian religion. But back when Moses wrote the book of Exodus, the people understood this. Pharaoh believed he was a God. He believed that he was part of the Egyptian system of the religion. He was deity. He was connected to the sun god, Ra. In fact, all of the ten plagues attacked some aspect of the Egyptian religion. The last plague attacks Pharaoh, who thinks he's a god, but he can't protect his own family. The problem we have, we like being God. We're going to be the God and goddesses of our lives. I'll tell you, suggest you two reasons God just doesn't wipe it all the sin away and say, okay, it's done. There are more, but I'll give you two connected to this message. First, it has to do with the fact that God is holy. Because holy God is, is that way. God is holy. He can't just let sinfulness come into his presence. And we're sinful. We're rebelling against him. We're trying to replace him. Which brings us to the second reason. He just doesn't just wipe it all away without faith, because we don't want him to. You don't really want God to tell us that all our sins are forgiven, because we don't want to believe that we have sinned. We want to be God. And if you believe you're the God of your own life, if you believe you're in control of your own life, you resent, you don't want the one true God telling you he's going to fix everything. So God doesn't just wipe all that sin away without faith, because we don't want him to. If we wanted to, we would come to God in faith. If we really wanted God, if we wanted to be right with God, we would come to God in faith. But we don't. And God gives us the freedom to reject him. He gives us the freedom to say, I want to be God. He says, all right, go read. Exodus, about the first 10, 11, 12 chapters. There was Pharaoh. God, God. Game over. He had a hard heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened against God. Sometimes it says God even hardened his heart. He said, just what you want. I'm going to give it to you. You want to rebel against me, you rebel. I'm not going to make you worship me. God does not make us follow him. That's why he just doesn't wipe all those sins away. But what he does is provide an avenue, a path, a way of forgiveness Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Jesus says, enter by the narrow way. And that way is through the cross. If you were to go in that closet, there's some hymn books. We hide them from y'all so you don't know they exist. (laughs) And in that hymn book, there's a hymn that says, the way of the cross leads home. So here's the thing, quickly. The way to experience justification, to be right by God, is by faith in Jesus. It's that simple. You want to be right with God. You want to be justified. There's only a way. It's simple. 
faith. There's no other way. There's no the path. It's none. That's it, the way. Which means this, that that way, Jesus becomes our message and our mission, telling people about Jesus. If Jesus is the only way to God by faith, then for those of us who are believers, the single most important thing we do with other people is not try to solve all the problems, though we should help them. I get that. It's not try to end all their difficulties, though I understand we assist them. The single most important thing we do is tell them about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Here's the thing. But to do this, to tell them about Jesus, we must at some point talk about sin. <laughs> because people must repent or turn away from their sin. At some point, you've got to talk about sin. You may not like it. I got you. But you, if you say, listen, you need to give your life to Jesus, and they're going to say, why? Well, you just need to trust him. He'll save you. But why? Well, you know, you, you just need to figure out that way to Jesus. But why? At some point, you've got to say, because you're a sinner, and your sin has separated you from God. So I want to go back to the question I asked a few moments ago. But how do I get there from here? You turn from sin and trust Jesus. And some of you right now, that's where you are in life. You're over here, and you need to get over there. You're over here in your rebellion. You're over here in your transgressions. But you need to get over there and be justified. It's not complicated. You can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself, but it's very simple. Turn from sin. Trust Jesus with your life. See, this is the thing. I'm going to go back to how I began this message. Our sin and our salvation are the reason for the cross. The reason Jesus went to that cross was to take your sin away and save you. He did it by being there in our place because of our transgressions and being raised back to life. And today, you can trust Christ to be your Savior. We're going to be standing here, some of us, and if you want to come and, and say, hey, listen, I need to give my life to Christ, you can. You don't have to understand everything. You say, David, I don't understand it all. You don't have to understand it all. I don't understand it all. You don't even have to believe everything. You say, I don't, I, some stuff I just have a hard time believing. Okay, don't worry about that. We're not, we're not asking you right now to believe everything there is to believe. We're asking you to do one simple thing. It's just very simple. Turn away from your sin and give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, you can. If you want to pray for someone who needs to do that, come pray for them. If you want to come and join our church, you can do that. I don't know what it is exactly that you need to do, but I do know this. You need to walk out of this place today understanding that the reason for the cross is because of your sin and your salvation, and you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. So, Father, we praise you and honor you and glorify you because you gave Jesus over on account of our rebellion against you. And then, God, you did what only you can do. You raised him back to life so that we could be saved. Turn from our sin. We trust Jesus. And we can be saved. So it's our prayer now. Now, whether someone is listening and watching or whether someone is here in person, they will give their life to you. They will trust Christ. They will have peace with God through faith. And they will come to faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll greet you.